Today's conversation is one of my favorites of the year. It is with London-based integrative psychotherapist Sirut Chala, and you can find her on Instagram. She is fantastic. We talk about everything. We talk about how to deal with undiagnosed ADHD, self-medicating with drugs, alcohol, caffeine, and nicotine, how I got sober, the dangers of cancel culture and Instagram therapy, uh, what it looks like when you defend your work online and social social media end up looking petty, the issues with living in a hyper-productive world, the problems with dating, including choice paralysis and the lack of chemistry gauge with online dating, why older men date younger women and why that's okay for a lot of younger women as well, uh, the idea of being a forever student, how consistency and hard work trump talent and the fallacy of the overnight success, how to deal with short bouts of depression, how to speak to yourself more kindly while staying accountable. This is a, a joy. This conversation was a joy for me to record and to have with Sirat. I love her work. Uh, you can find her online at Sirat Chala, and I hope you enjoy. Can you really quickly just introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm a person. Um, sometimes on the I'm on the internet, and sometimes I see clients. And um, I mostly don't have a life because I work too much. So yeah, that's my intro. <laughs> and what's your name? Uh, if you must put a label on me, it's uh, Sirat. Sirat. Sirat, nice to see you. You too, Sean. So for anyone listening, um, Sirat and I got got together. We we talked on the phone. Usually I do a 15-minute you know, intro chat before the podcast just to see if there's, you know, it's like a vibe check, sort of a first date, but also what are we <laughs> going to talk about? And in that 15 minutes, this was at the beginning of the pandemic two years ago, and we're just now getting around to recording <laughs> the podcast. But in that 15 minutes, we talked for over two hours. It was one of the longest chats I've had with a stranger ever. It was cool. We we were vibing. We were we were vibing, and I think, and I can't. We touched on so many different topics, and it was just, you know, like you don't often meet people that you just vibe with straight away. So it was so fun. It's fun, and also one of the the hallmarks or one of the the, the highlights of that conversation was when you may have unofficially diagn diagnosed me with ADD or ADHD. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Are you, I mean, that's like one of the things I remember the most. I don't remember that. I remember us talking about a relationship you were in at length and like discussing all the different angles of this relationship. And I remember giving you some advice about it. Um, I don't remember me diagnosing you. <laughs> well, you're you're a psychotherapist, right? So you're, you're yeah. qualified. Um, but we weren't in a, you know in that kind of a container. But I think it's because the conversation was so long and all over the place yeah. that you said, oh, it's, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? And I go, no. And she's like, well, you know, you, you said, well, I think you might, you might have it. <laughs> and then my question to you is, how, how come I haven't been diagnosed earlier? And your answer was something along the lines of, well, you, you seem to have enough coping mechanisms. 
so that you can deal with it without medication. Mm-hmm. That could, yeah, I think that's that- what, like, I was diagnosed very late for that reason as well. I'm resourceful. And um, I think a lot of people who generally have like a decent degree of intelligence tend not to be diagnosed because you work out other routes. And I suspect that's what it was for you. Yeah, I, you know, I value sleep and exercise and, you know, having a large friend circle and yeah. uh, doing work that matters and also taking big breaks, you know, and just going like, mm-hmm. well, today's, it's not happening today, you know? Yeah. But I'm that, not doing it. I'm doing ADHD all sorts thing. of other stuff. That's a very ADHD thing. If you can't regulate your attention and you have a day where you just like your brain is just like, nope, not today. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think it might surprise people. You said you don't, you know, you, you don't have much of a life because you work so much. I don't work that much. You know, I work yeah. maybe four hours a day or something. Um, That's pretty good. And then the rest of the time, I'm just like, doing stuff for me. Yeah. Working on projects. I like, I love fixing things and yeah. uh, building things and working with my hands and so- solving those kinds of problems that aren't working on relationships or like figuring out what course I'm going to teach or all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's such a big one, isn't it? Cause we've kind of, there's a Fox going past my window. What, where, what do you live in Narnia? What's going on? <laughs> foxes are really, um, foxes are very endemic to London. So every now and again, you'll see a fox going past. So on the back wall, a fox just walked past. And I realized because of its huge tail um, in the air. Um, But working with your hands is so important. And especially those of us who are like the laptop class, we don't work with our hands anywhere near enough or with our bodies. Um, So that's really, really important. But when I say I work so much, a decent amount of that is probably projects that I that I uh, that I look at as um, towards my purpose. I don't know. I'm I'm an obsessive person. Maybe that's maybe it is working. I'm trying to I'm trying to be cool like you, Sean, and trying to justify it. <laughs> well, so what are these projects? Writing. I'm doing a lot of writing recently. Mm. Um, I have been thinking about starting a Substack, um, but yeah, haven't got haven't gotten to it yet. But I would like to at some point. That's like one more thing to one add. One more to thing. The, that's what it is, right? Is one more thing, and like I think the thing that's making me hold off is that I'm not always going to have time to, you know, like I, I feel like my focus comes in fits and starts. So I might be really focused for a week, and put in and write like six articles because I'm just that into it, and then for the next two weeks I have absolutely no interest of touching it again. And if you're going to monetize something, you have to be able to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm not great. Uh, just, okay, so side note to, to listeners, um, true, true to fashion, we will be all over the place in this, yeah. in this interview, <laughs> in this conversation. It's a conversation. Um, I, I have not really ever focused much on monetization. Mm-hmm. Of, of what is now a business when I started this thing just because I'm, I'm passionate about it and I think I'm good at it. And and I thought it was fun, you know, to talk to people about sex, love and dating. And then eventually an audience grew up around me and then I'll go, okay, well, shit, this is my full-time job now. I'll have yeah. to make some money, right? Yeah. Um, but my my sole pursuit is not money. I think a lot of a lot of creators, that is their end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Is to like build a bunch of wealth. And, you know, I, I come from a privileged background. I have... Parents, you know, my parents actually were were uh, born 
and raised in relative like lower class, but my dad really like made a name for himself. And so, yeah, it's cool. He left Australia at the age of 16, you know, with like the classic $300 in his pocket thing, you know, what did he do? What What did he do? Business. He, he started a company, uh, that was what, uh, programmers use to program applications. Wow. So for the, for the nerds out there is an integrated development environment. So what you use, the, the code editor that you use to write programs. And so he was one of the first dudes to do that on the PowerPC long, long time ago in the 80s. And he's always been a nerd. But so anyways, it, it's, you know, it's a position of privilege that I can have to be like, well, I'm only going to work four hours today because, mm. you know, I have, you know, I've like, I mean, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I have a rental property. I have uh, this business, I'm doing coaching, I'm doing courses. Um, but I know people in my position that are just like, they're working 80 hours and they're, they're always launching and they're always growing and they're hiring mm. and, and they're, and they eventually burn out. Yeah. You know, yeah. they burn out. Well, I think chasing wealth is a great way to burn out because, you know, that that's not going to sustain you and there's not much meaning in wealth. But then I'm, for me, it's like a balance. It's partly like you, I would prefer not to have to um, have money as an important factor, but it is one because um, after I left home, I became at one point was incredibly, incredibly poor, like um, food bank, homelessness, shoes tied together with, you know, electrical tape poor. So there's no safety net for me. There's no one who can like if I decide not to do it, uh, that's it there's no one who can bail me out or help me so part of part of my like drive i guess is wanting to put as much distance between myself and that kind of poverty mm-hmm. and that feeling might uh, never go away so that's definitely one of the but it's also a very good feeling to know that like okay i pulled myself out of that and i built something you know pretty decent for myself by myself it's a good feeling what well, first of all, nice work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nice work. Thank you. Um, and second of all, you know, the pursuit of wealth uh, is never ending. Yeah. Because when's right, it ever so- going to be enough, right? Millionaires then want to be billionaires. Um, and there's such a like status thing attached to it. And it's so, I don't know, it's so... Um, like if you have enough that you can live and you can be comfortable and you can do the things that give your life meaning, everything above that is almost a bonus, right? Hmm. Yeah, there. I saw this sticker that was for a 12-step recovery group, but I forget which one exactly. It wasn't like AA or Al-Anon. It might have been like Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Mm-hmm. But the sticker said something along the lines of, um, if you had enough love, power, money, respect, sex, drugs, would you even know it? That's a, yeah, that's a, I felt that, that's heavy, especially when you have an addictive personality, because it's like, and I do, I do, I don't, do you as well, do you have an addictive personality? Guess, take a guess. (laughs) Okay, well then, I'm sure you can relate. (laughs) These are my nic- um, these are my nicotine mints, by the way. Uh, th- this is my nicotine gum, by the way. 
<laughs> I've got gum. It's in my, my gums in the kitchen. I chew gum all day, every day, rapidly, just like chewing. <laughs> so the, that packet, that packet, yeah. we call those, my friend calls those circuit boards. Circuit boards. Yeah. So like how many circuit boards a day? Is like oh. the the benchmark for you know how you know it's like, it's a unit unit of measurement. On some days, I'll go through a whole box like this. Uh, oh, that's that's a hundred. That's a lot of pieces of gum. That's one hundred and five pieces of gum. I was gonna say that's a hundred pieces of gum. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of gum. But I used to I used to smoke a pack a day. Yeah, ditto. Yeah, and now I think it's part. I don't medicate my ADHD, so I think there's um. A part of that is like a lot of people with ADHD tend to self-medicate with nicotine and caffeine. Um, so I have my two cans of Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> are we the same person? <laughs> uh, so I think people are starting to understand like why why we talked on the phone for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I quit drinking and doing drugs at the age of 25 because... I had been in therapy for a few years with a girlfriend and we had zero conflict resolution, you know, and it's, it, it's a miracle that at 22, my girlfriend and I at the time decided to go to couples counseling, you yeah. know, like there aren't, I think back then, I think maybe, maybe it's trending a little bit younger, um, people going to therapy earlier and there's less of a stigma for the younger generations. But I think back then, like that wasn't, I mean, back then it was only like, I'm 35, like 13 years ago, but you don't, you don't get a lot of young couples going to therapy, but, um, regardless, we found out over two years that I had a problem, you know, drinking and drug problem, lots of party drugs. And it was definitely a a way to cope. It was definitely self-medication. Yeah. And that's not available to me anymore. You know, I made that decision just like, I can't, I can't, I, I, we wouldn't be here, you know, if I had kept drinking and doing drugs. Same. Yeah. Very similar. We are the same person, clearly. We're the same. Um, um, how did you, um, was it through the, through the therapy that made you decide that, right, that, that's, enough, that's enough, I'm not going to do this anymore? Or was it through the relationship, wanting to keep it? Or was it afterwards? It was during therapy. Uh, the, the therapist, you know, he said at one point, he goes, hey, geez, I, I, you know, I just can't help notice how much you both are partying. And my girlfriend at the time wasn't an addict, but she was Al-Anon, you know, codependent. And so it was like the classic, you know, enabler addict dynamic. Mm -hmm. And the therapist said, you know, I, I just want to be able to do my job. And Mm -hmm. the drugs and the alcohol are sort of getting in the way. The drugs are getting in the way of me doing my job. So can we just take a, a break for like 30 days? just so that I can do my job. I mean, brilliant strategy. Cause if he had told me I was an addict, you know, he probably had me pegged from the moment I walked in there. Mm-hmm. I think I would have told him to go fuck himself and it'd be gone, <laughs> you know, cause that's not what I wanted to hear. But over the year we like did these breaks, these 30 day breaks where we weren't doing, you know, cocaine, ecstasy, mushrooms, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then my drinking skyrocketed cause that was, that was my outlet. You yeah. know? And at some point at the end of this, test period. I was sitting uh, in my underwear, you know, drinking cans of Coors Light and feeling really sorry for myself and not taking care of myself and looking really soft, you know, just like kind of blah and sort of looking and feeling like a burrito because that's all I was eating. (laughs) And I, and I was looking at these transformations of people online, these fitness transformations. 
and I had this like, you know, uh, white light moment where I decided or came to the realization that alcohol was the thing holding me back in all aspects of my life. Mm. Emotional, emotional, physical, financial, professional, relational. And I walked into therapy just all super happy and I go, I'm, I'm not drinking for a year. And the therapist looked at me, he's like, great, uh, go to AA, get a sponsor, work the steps. And, uh, and, and, and that, that's it. I never drink again. Did it. So when you said that it was holding you back in all areas of your life, did all areas of your life change after you stopped drinking? Um, I think they, they might've all improved a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I started taking care of myself. I started like sleeping better and eating better and working out. And the sleep one, that's such a big one. I think people don't realize how much alcohol impacts sleep. That's a huge one, isn't it? Well, yeah, yes. And sleep is, I mean, sleep is, the I think, the biggest hack that we can do. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are doing, you know, all sorts of weird bio-optimization and all that stuff. But sleep, for me, if, if I sleep well and, and, I, and I put myself in an environment to sleep well, right, mm-hmm. like minimizing screens and you know that's hard for a lot of people including people with addictive personalities because yeah. the dopamine release of of uh, instagram dms and comments mm-hmm. i mean that stuff feels good even if they're not what i want to read you know it's yeah. like it activates yeah it's like a it's like that whole um when you get three on the slot machine and all the coins come through it's the same dopamine rush right um and you know when you post something and then you're watching the likes build I think that's the one that gives me dopamine, watching the likes grow. Um, yeah, and then I was going to ask you what your relationship... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go on. I was going to ask you what your relationship is with your Instagram and your, your specifically the DMs and the comments, and you just mentioned the, the likes is the that's, the... that's the benchmark for success for you? Not really. I think it's more like a video game for me sometimes. It's like that video game feeling of like, did I make a good enough post that the likes are going to build on this? And then it definitely, I notice the dopamine reward comes through more with the likes. Not necessarily that that's a metric of success for me, but that's definitely a dopamine thing. Um, I think more like a metric of success for me on Instagram. And like, I'm not, listen, I'm not lying about this as if the likes don't feel good. They feel fucking good. Um, so do followers, so does everything else. But I try to think of, um, to mitigate some of that addictive personality. Like, so be having an addict- addictive personality can be a good thing if you challenge, channel it intelligently. I think it can be a really good thing. So the obsessiveness that I have, I have and the, the addictiveness I've had, it, it, if you put it into work or you find some way to productively challenge, I can't speak now, channel that um, impulse within you, you can get somewhere and you can, you know, scratch that itch, so to speak, and use it in a, in a healthier sort of way. But a metric of success for me on Instagram is probably how many more people resonate with what I'm saying as opposed to how many people attack me for what I'm saying. Yeah, that's interesting. And I almost kind of wish there was a thumbs up, thumbs down feature like on Reddit so that we <laughs> like can a down see vote, the, upvote. Yeah, downvote. I, I would like to see 
You know, because the only way to really figure that out is to read the comments. And yeah. I'm at a point now where like it's, I, I want to read the comments because sometimes when I post something, I use the comments as a gauge of whether I'm on the mark or not. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I'll post something risky and I'll read the comments for a little bit to see if I need to pull it. And I rarely pull stuff. I just want to yeah. be honest. Like I, I pulled something recently on TikTok when we could talk about it because I think it's an interesting conversation about uh, age differences in dating. Ooh, tell me about that. Yeah. I will, I will. Um, but yeah, I use the comments as a gauge to see yeah. uh, whether I'm I'm going to get in trouble or not. <laughs> I think like I used to be a bit like that, worry more about being in trouble. But I've been in trouble so much at this point. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm going to say what the fuck I like um, and what I want to say. And if I'm going to get into trouble, well, most of the people who have an issue with what I say, I'm not talking to them anyway. Mm. And I'm not interested in what they say and think because I don't agree with their philosophy either um it's just that I don't spend my time looking at what they say and trying to cancel them that's the <laughs> yeah. difference yeah I I try not to uh argue I learned something from Guy Kawasaki who wrote a book uh author publisher a uh, a author publisher editor a long time ago and he said um when you reply to comments only ever reply once mm to a comment. So don't get into a discussion back and forth with people. They say something, you rebut and then it's over. You know, yeah. like you can you can like their reply and then that's that's it. And so I've been really good at that except for every now and then it happens where I just can't control myself <laughs> and I just I come to my own defense. Um I read something or or I forget where I read this, but someone was talking about um how it looks petty when yeah. you defend negative comments. Mhm. And they said, sure, it does look petty, but because most people are agreeing with large content creators, right? That's how they, they got a big audience. People agree with them. Mm -hmm. But you do have to defend yourself every now and then when someone misinterprets your work. Yeah. And then it, then it just looks petty because you're only arguing against things that you don't agree with. But it's mm -hmm. in fact, it's a very small percentage of the comments that you'll put out there. It just they 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 look more petty than they actually are. Yeah, you have to you have to kind of get a bird's eye view on this stuff. I found so we focus on the one petty, stupid comment, and then you know just because of the way our neurobiology is, you'll ignore the hundred awesome comments or the, you know, 50 kind of middle-of-the-road comments, and your brain is honed the fuck in on that one comment where the person is calling you, you know, you fascist pig, Sean, you. <laughs> and you just end up focusing on that. And, um, and you have to, like, actually go away, center yourself, and be like, listen, a hundred people like this, one people didn't, like, one person didn't, you need to kind of get a grip. And it's the same with also remembering that Usually those sorts of people, the people that don't like things and they're vocal about it, they're a small, loud minority. The people who like things, they just like it and move on, right? And it's, it's, they way, so far outweigh the, um, the angry screeching people. It's um, like a hundred or a thousand to one, really, yeah, you know, it positive is. to negative. It is, but we have an inbuilt negativity bias because that's an evolutionary thing to keep us safe. So, you know, that translates onto social media, not in the best way. So you have to kind of almost do a manual override on it. Be like, nope, I'm not focusing on this one asshole comment. Um, if it's like, if they're not being rude, leave it and move on. If they're being rude, delete and block and never think about it again. Like you just have to, you know, 
Like you can't, yeah. you're growing really quickly. I've got like 200,000 plus. And if it's one versus 200,000, I don't have time to let someone be rude twice. You're rude once. I'm going to make, I'm going to make time. I'm making time. <laughs> well, with your four hour work, work day, you have time. <laughs> I, that's bundled into the four hours, actually. It's an hour arguing online. <laughs> uh, I want to draw a parallel to this idea, you know, this negativity bias of people that go on dates and then, or are in early dating relationships or even yeah. in a relationship. And that relationship ends and they go, oh my God, I'm a bad person. What did I do wrong? You know, like I fucked up. When, the, the data suggests that you are a loving person, right? Most of the people that follow my, my work and probably yours as well are, are good people, right? Yeah. Like trying to better themselves, yeah. trying to have better relationships, trying to understand themselves. But then they get one piece of negativity from one person. Maybe it's a person they went on three dates with and they get ghosted mm-hmm. and their whole world is flipped upside down. They start, you know, wondering if they're actually like damaged or a bad person when they have like loving friends and family and successful relationships, and it just kind of clouds. It just has, like clouds us. This is interesting because I don't think everyone has this reaction. I think there are mm. people who probably because um, like dating is a like. So I I have this thing where I think being single is really fun, but dating is brutal and sucks. So, like if you're just single going through the world, you can have a great fucking time because you know you meet people, you have a connection, you like them you're free to do what you like and it's fun you know and also when you're single I notice you look around much more than when you're not single then you tend to be a little bit more blinkered because you're not looking for a potential partner or mate or whatever but actual dating I think is literally one of the outer circles of Dante's Inferno like I would rather put pins in my eyes than go back in that kind of dating um it's horrible um that's a very dark perspective. There's so much there, though. That's so okay. So you could use the dating platforms, and you know, law of averages. You keep at it, and ultimately, you'll find somebody. But you might have to put a year into it, a year, maybe more. And you, yeah. but then there's so much about dating um, with the apps and the sites and stuff that I find really like almost anti um, anti meaningful relationship so one you have to commodify yourself and market yourself like you're a product as opposed to a rounded human being and then um that's one issue then the um disposability of people so like say you and i went on a date and i you were i don't know a little bit rude or you were slightly abrupt or something and it had nothing to do with the situation maybe you went about whatever I just say yeah I don't want to deal with this anymore so I'm going to keep swiping like I'm done with Sean as opposed to when you didn't have that situation you might work through it and then you might actually develop intimacy you might like understand each other better it might actually help the relationship grow so there's this whole like disposability thing um and then the paradox of choice I think that's a big (laughs) issue Oh, I was waiting to chime in. I was waiting. I was like, "What about yeah. choice paralysis?" <laughs> huge. It's the the par- like the more choices you have. I think there's actually some data that shows shows this. That like the the more choices you have, the worse decisions you make. And it's, I think oh, yeah. there's truth. To, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, oh, it's it's been studied. It's been studied. Yeah, yeah. So, like, 
And then the next part is that you can't know from a picture and some words whether you're going to have any actual compatibility with somebody. Like, you can guess it. Like, it's it's like attraction of the gaps. Do you know what I mean? Like, you fill in all the gaps with projection and attraction and what you think you're going to, you know, your dream shit that you want from somebody. And they might not be that. And you you just don't know until you meet someone whether that indefinable thing is there or not. You can't know from it. Like, so then you're you're just, what are you going to do? Um, go on a date every Wednesday afternoon for like two years till you meet someone who fits that you have that spark with or that you know resonance with. So, well, if I if I put my last girlfriends, my last five girlfriends on a dating app, I'm not sure I would have swiped right on any of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, except why. for one, which I actually did. I did swipe right on one because we met online. But um, yeah, so four out of five, I'm not sure. You know, I don't actually know if I would have. And you would have missed out on all those But in those person, it was a no-brainer. So why? What yeah. What about them would you have not swiped right on if you saw them on a dating app? And what about them made you really attracted to them and pursue a relationship with them because you met them in person? Well, one of them was working for like a congresswoman. And I think I might have just been like boring, you know, like left, like not yeah. into that. And then, but in reality, she's like, now she's the was like the head of communications at Burning Man, right? So like people wow. change and yeah. like, uh, so, uh, That's and I think- your street, isn't it? Head of communications. It really is. <laughs> well, I actually met, I met her at Burning Man. So- um, That's your dream woman. Why haven't you married her? She's married to, um, to someone else now and they have a beautiful child together. I know. Yeah. I broke up with her. My bad. Um, uh, yeah, I've met, met, two girlfriends at Burning Man, one at a sex party, one at a party on New Year's. I'm starting to see a pattern here. I like to meet people yeah. in party situations, yeah. And one online. Um, and and then sometimes, you know, you'll vibe with somebody online, mm-hmm. right? You'll, you'll, you'll have a great text conversation. The FaceTimes will be great. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll project a lot of, you know, expectations and fulfillment onto this person and you meet them in person. It's just, it's not there. Mm, yeah. It's flat. So you've had sexual chemistry and like that undefinable thing on FaceTimes, but it wasn't there in person. I don't know if I'd go as far as calling it sexual chemistry, but there was definitely chemistry. Yeah. I remember this woman named Chris and we actually ended up, it's funny, funny story. We went on a few dates and it just wasn't there. She was so sweet and loving (laughs) and uh, maybe she was a Pisces, maybe the Pisces. I don't know about the Pisces. Um, No, you you know, no disrespect to my canceled okay <laughs> i don't well all right well co-canceled <laughs> joint canceled uh i'm not trying to say anything with the about the pisces just that i don't think i yeah, vibe with them action? but then i also don't really believe in it <laughs> i'm sorry i also don't believe in astrology that yeah, me much, neither to be you know fair, so i'm just i'm just being difficult <laughs> Well, but this this woman, we went on a few dates and it just wasn't there. And I really wanted it to be there. And we were so cute together and we, you know, chatted. And But in person, it's just like, no. And she's, you know, gorgeous and all those things. We actually ended up running into each other again at a sex party. I, it oh makes God, it sound like I go to a lot of sex parties. <laughs> I think I've only been to like five or six. But like yeah. the stories about those parties come up very often because of how like impactful they were. Yeah. Anyways, we ended up having sex at that sex party. Our first time ever uh, was mm-hmm. at that sex party. She was wearing like a like a fishnet red dress. She was very 
very attractive and alluring. Yeah. Wow. Same person, different, different context, you know? And then did anything happen? Did you pursue it with her after the fishnet red dress? No, because I, because I actually, you know, fell for uh, a little, uh, a woman wearing an LBD and had curly hair and then we dated for six months. So at the same party, same party. You should write a book about your dating exploits. I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot that we need to write a memoir. I'm working, I'm working there. Yeah, there's a book in my future. There's TV, there's TV in my future. What's going to happen with TV? Don't know. We're, we're pitching a show. We're pitching a show. Can't talk about it, but you know. God damn it. Then why'd you bring stay, it up? Stay tuned. <laughs> okay. So one of the things I wanted to, I want to circle back to this canceling thing. I think I'm more worried about getting canceled because I'm like a straight white man. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, but simultaneously. Is, yeah. Like I'm not a straight white man. And right. I feel a lot of the identity points that, you know, apparently should protect you from being cancelled or apparently should give you a voice that people should listen to. They don't give a shit. All they care is if you if you repeat their scripture and um, if you say the right things, that's all they that's literally all they care about. They're not interested. So this isn't about social justice. This is not about caring about minorities. It's about do you conform and are you obedient or not? And you don't really, you don't really talk about anything particularly controversial. I don't think. I think you, it's it's like dating, love, you know, communication. Yeah, helpful emotions. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I I do that for. I mean, the, you know, there is a calculated situation happening here. You know, like I stay middle of the road so that I can appeal to a larger audience and so that yeah. I don't get in trouble. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do that. They um, steer clear of anything that might get them into trouble. But then on the other hand, like concentrating on a niche is a good idea as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty niched, I think. Niched. As a love, I'm I'm niched. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, like as a, I think maybe the straight white guys are maybe the, simultaneously the most likely to get canceled, but also the least likely to get canceled. Well, if you get canceled, they can't ruin your business because you work for yourself. Um, And you have, you're still going to have clients. Like you might lose people that are uber woke, but they're not all going to be like that. So, you know, even if you take a hit, it'll be temporary and you'll build back. And, um, and you're, you know, financially in a good place and in a place where even if your business went tits up, they couldn't, they couldn't ruin. Do you know what I mean? They couldn't ruin Can't ruin my life. Can't ruin my life. They can't ruin your life. So it's really important to remember that. Um, And Instagram is actually, I'm really surprised, pleasantly surprised. They've come out with this feature that's actually a good idea. So, you know, um, you know, in the community, whatever guidelines or whatever they are terms and conditions for the app you're not allowed to do bullying harassment blah 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 but they don't sort of even when you are being bullied or harassed it's very arbitrary whether they're going to help or do anything or not usually they don't do anything but this limits feature is a good thing because it means that no one sort of even the people that i don't agree with i feel like they should be allowed to speak freely um that i don't think they should be allowed to harass me or or you know, do any of that shit. But 
Why shouldn't they share their... Like, I think their ideas are a pile of shit, but they have every right to share their shit ideas. Um, yeah. Just like, according to them, mine are probably shit, and I have every right to share mine. But you have this limit feature now, which means that you can set it so, um, you know, randoms, people don't follow you, and new followers, they can't leave comments, they can't DM you, they can't tag you and stuff. So basically, it's a it's a good feature. So if you start being cancelled or harassed, you set the, you put that limit thingy on. And it's like a, it's like a Instagram superpower. You just turn it all off. I love that. Yeah, I also feel like it's so unlikely. Like I, you know, my account has a, a, a shocking, shockingly low level of trolls. Mm. You know, it's just, it's crazy. Well, I think it's, I think it's relationship, Yeah, and love and relationship accounts are probably the most popular accounts on that on Instagram because we have this kind of like it's almost like a crisis of love. There's all these people who are desperate for love, who don't know how they're getting in their own way, who don't who haven't don't know how to form meaningful connections, communicate, who don't know how to navigate their own kind of shortcomings and their shit they bring to relationships that mess relationships up, how to manage that shit. So people like you that actually help people and give them tools, there's never not going to be a demand for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a good, it's a good niche. Yeah. Good niche. And the market, the market is, is everybody, you know? Yeah, exactly. Who doesn't want love? It's everybody. And who doesn't need to Everyone, learn? I mean, I even have yeah, I have people who've been married, happily married, happily married for mm-hmm. years. And they say, I'm just here for entertainment and to see what's going on in the world, you know? Yeah. And even if you're happily married, it's not like you can't learn good communication skills or bring like some of the dating life spark stuff back into your marriage. Like there's always, you know, there's always something to learn yeah. no matter how far down the road you are. Until you're dead. Until you're dead. And then you learn like then, haunting, ectoplasm. The real ghosting. Yeah, the real ghosting of Instagram. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I made a reel a couple, like a less than a week ago. And it was answering a question that was something, actually this was a TikTok. Uh, something along the lines of, you know, how come 60-year-old men don't want 60-year-old women? Mm-hmm. And I said something along, I'm paraphrasing here, but like I said, you know, older men want younger women because they want to recapture some of that youth. They want a, a younger model. They, you know, they, they, you know, they're more physically attracted to younger people. And I said, and it's not that much different than like a younger woman wanting an older man, mm-hmm. right? Like a 20 year old wanting a 30 year old because they're more mature. Mm-hmm. And some people were like, yeah, it's super unpopular opinion, but like I agree. And then a lot of people, actually, I learned a lot from this stuff, which is why I love it when it gets a little controversial because I see different points of views that I hadn't considered. Mm-hmm. So one of them was like, you know, 30 year old dudes want 20 year old women because they want to control them. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, that's never been, sometimes I can't, I can't see the perspective because it's not my perspective. Yeah. Right? I don't have that experience. And they go, you know, 20 year old women want 30 year old guys, not for their maturity, but for their money. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Like, I hadn't considered that either. Mm-hmm. And that 60-year-old women don't want 60-year-old men because of how tired and saggy they are as well. You know, like, so that so a lot of 60-year-old women or older women are getting hit on and approach and having relationships with younger men. Mm-hmm. So the whole cougar thing, which I was like, oh, okay, like 
also hadn't really considered that. So there was a lot of stuff and a lot of the comments were pretty negative and I, so I, d I actually deleted the whole thing. Um, I have a different take on this. Yeah, go ahead. I think, well, first of all, it's like the mate selection is almost always driven by reproduction, whether it's like short, um, short term flings or a sexual thing or like actually looking for a mate. And so there's a lot of work that's been done on the 60 year old men are more attracted to younger women because they're more fertile. You know, you can actually procreate with them. And um, and the, again, there's a lot of studies that show that men, or no matter how old a man is, he's always attracted, most attracted to women in, the early, in their early 20s. And women, they almost always are attracted to six years up, six years down, whatever your age is. And what? Yeah. So women aren't women aren't most attracted to young men. Women are most attracted to men somewhere around their age group. Men are most attracted to young women. And again, when you think about like the difference in fertility, we only get a window. You guys can even though your 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 business is old and moldy and shit, you can still <laughs> If you could get it up. Yeah. You can still procreate. Mostly up. Yeah. No matter how old you get. We can't. So there's something there. Right. And then there's also like, I think this is something, it's again, none of this is politically correct, but, you know, politically correct and what's reality really seem to intersect. Um, right. And the other thing is that like, it's an age old thing. Women trade fertility and looks for a protector and a provider and somebody with right. you know status so like a woman wanting somebody older it's almost always about yeah you're going to protect me and look after me and our offspring right security right yeah yeah i mean a 20 a 20 year old man can't you know generally speaking won't be able to provide as well as a 30 year old man or nope. a 40 year old man no, nope, but then on the other hand, okay. like the heart wants what it wants. You never know what, like it's, you know, I asked this question a few days ago on Twitter. I said, what causes attraction? And um, what, Ooh. why are we like, are we so attracted to some people over others, even if mm. they're the same on paper? Because it's, it's mm. there's, there's something that like, I don't know whether we have an answer to this always. And someone answered, and I loved this answer. And she said, it's like taste in food or music. You don't choose it. It chooses you. And it's true, you know, like you don't, you don't know what, what you're going to be chosen by. It's true. And people want to understand it. Yeah, of course. It's like we're obsessed about it, but there's some things that you just can't like, you can't control who you're going to be attracted to. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, if I remember all, yeah, all of my ex-girlfriends have been, it have been a very like pheromonal mm -hmm connection you know like i needed to be close to them um and 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 i don't know they're all my ex-girlfriends now so, so maybe you need to try <laughs> a different way <laughs> maybe stop going to the fucking sex parties <laughs> to, yeah well, i'm not going parties. to burning man anymore <laughs> yeah I yeah think maybe like, i gotta stop going to the sex parties well, well there are less party. now here i live in arizona now um huh? Go, like, do you have like meetups? Like in England, they do this thing. Some yeah. some places do like supper clubs and single meetups and things like that. 
I feel like that's such a better way because you can actually meet someone, see if you have like initial chemistry and it's, you know, like we spend, we've like outsourced so much of our normal human interaction to the fucking internet that every yeah. chance you get to actually meet a human being real time, you should take it. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's so good. That's oh, so good. You. Every chance you get to meet a, a real human, take it, you know, yeah. which is like saying yes to things you would normally say no to. Yeah, because it's easy, isn't it? Like after two years of sitting at home in our sweatpants, like it's easier to do Zoom. It's easier to FaceTime. It's easier to do whatever. But and it's it's you don't want to always like we've gotten lazy. We've gotten a bit you've adapted a little bit to sitting at home and the you know the only place you go is online and i think that's a habit we kind of need to like start breaking now um now that put <laughs> yeah put some fucking pants on put some fucking pants on put a bit of makeup <laughs> on leave the fucking house get a fucking haircut get a fucking haircut you know, yeah <laughs> leave the house yeah it's funny i i did a post yesterday uh I should do more of these because the, the comments were like bananas. There I got like 900 comments. But it was something along the lines of, you know, if you're discouraged about dating, mm -hmm. delete your profile. You know, mm -hmm. online dating, delete your profile. Yeah. And go meet people the old school way. You know, chat, yeah. channel your grandpa Earl. Get set up. I love go that. Go to say yes to things. <laughs> say yes to things you wouldn't say yes to. Talk to people. Like everybody. And yeah. I know if you're an introvert, like I know, I know this is so hard. And like you know, worthwhile things are hard. Absolutely. And it's hard. Even for me as an extrovert, it's hard. I mean, it's easier for me to meet people, but I still get anxious and awkward and, you know, like don't feel like saying hi to people because I'm, you know, self-conscious or whatever, whatever I'm feeling. It's still hard for me as well. You yeah. know, I don't want to, Everyone to think that I'm just meeting people willy nilly, which I I do, but it's also hard in a in a romantic context. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're confident, of course it's fucking or extroverted, of course it's hard. But I think people are just so we're all so fucking conditioned to expecting everything to be easy. Like expect hard, friends. <laughs> like, where where did we get are, this? Where did we get this expectation that it should be easy? I think this is the whole coddling issue, you know. As soon as um, the, like, as soon as the, the generation of go outside and play ended and stay inside on your device and, you know, overprotection and less unsupervised play, less like rough and tumble stuff, like, you know, human development requires, but like, children need to play to develop properly, neuromotor development, so to be socialized properly. Um and then self-esteem parenting, being told from every fucking day from day, you're a special snowflake and, you know, or a magical unicorn you are. And everyone gets a participation trophy and it gives people such unrealistic ideas of life. And um, I think there's a lot of people who are completely inept because they weren't challenged. So the adults who can't, they, they aren't properly socialized. They're anxious. They're like the rates of social anxiety are so high. They can't um, cope very well with things. They have unrealistic expectations for like their career and for life because they were told you're, you know, you're basically a prodigy. And and what if you're mediocre? <laughs> what if you're not? Right. 
imagine being brought up thinking you're so special and such a magical prodigy type and then you grow up and no one reflects that back to you and you can't get a job and you, you thought you were going to people were going to be like throwing themselves at you to give you job offers and you got shit cuz you're just a regular yeah Joe. Yeah, and most of us are regular, right? Most of us are regular, not fucking geniuses or prodigies. And um, and then look at like the media and film and the kind of messages people get or what. I think um, life imitates art, but then goes terribly wrong. So you watch a show and you see someone and it's very straight. You grow up, you're going to you know, go to college, you're going to be the most popular person in your fraternity or whatever, and then you're going to find a job and it's going to be a job at like, you know, not a regular job, not like washing dishes, not being an unpaid intern and making coffees. You're going to be like, you're going to go and, um, you know, intern at the New York Times, because of course you will. And then some someone's going to realize what a genius you are and you're going to be um, quickly promoted. And then the next thing you know, you're buying a house. Nobody's fucking life works that way. And um, And then people think there's something wrong with them. And it's not. This is what life is like. It's not fucking easy. You need to you need to make things happen. They don't just fall in your lap. Yeah, and also just uh, because you, you know, just, just because you're not a genius doesn't mean you can't build great things. Exactly. Well, that's the whole growth mindset right? thing, isn't it? Like Carol Dweck's research, which showed that talent and... Um, skills they don't have to be fixed if you put in effort and you work at it and you stick with it you can so greatly improve on um your talent on your skill on your and you can build things and you don't have to be the smartest person in the room just put some fucking work in and you'll be amazed yeah. at what you can do i mean i started doing this thing eight years ago 2014 is when I started driving the taxi and interviewing people about sex, love, and dating and wow. putting those videos on YouTube. Yeah. You know, eight years of, you know, sure, there were periods of time when I wasn't mm-hmm. putting in the work every day, but for the most part, you know, five yeah. of those years has been day in, day out. And I like barely graduated college, mm-hmm. you know, I did not have my shit together. I was mm-hmm. like a D's get degrees kind of student. Yeah. Um, I was not popular. I would get thrown into trash cans butt first. I would get mm-hmm. pushed into lockers. I uh, was a smart ass. I sort of dropped out of high school for a bit. Mm-hmm. I had a drug and alcohol problem, mm-hmm. you know, like, and and I've built something kind of kind of great and, and now for look me, at you. you know, and for other people. And now look at you. Likeable look at me now. Communication skills. <laughs> teaching people how to be in relationships and like anyone who, 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 you know, just starts following you, they'd look at your social media growth now and be like, yeah. Oh, look how easy it is. It, it, it is for him. Whereas like, it's been eight <laughs> years of fucking work to get to this point. Right. Overnight success. Overnight yeah. Overnight success, success always takes a decade. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. You never see the behind the, the scenes because no one's fucking paying attention. No. No, and we always. I, like, I love the overnight success stories that are not anything closely related to that. Yeah, because it's almost never like you know people think flukes are what overnight success. Not the case. Like overnight success usually takes like a decade of you know hard grafting every day, not seeing results, and at some point you start gathering momentum if you're lucky. But you need to put the work. So the way. 
yeah, the way I was, I sort of had imagined it in my, the, the, the narrative in my head story I was telling myself, the, the, the imagery mm-hmm. was that I was in on, on a rowboat okay. in the middle of the ocean, mm-hmm. mired in fog, <laughs> no idea where I was going, but I knew that I had to keep rowing and that I was eventually rowing, hopefully not in circles, yeah. hopefully headed towards something. And yeah. then eventually years of rowing, I started to see a shoreline yeah. or a mountain peak in the in the distance and I knew where to row to. That's a beautiful analogy. I absolutely love that. Weirdly, mine is slightly similar. My analogy <laughs> is walking through a forest. Because like, again, maybe it's vis- being visual thinkers, but so many times it was... Um, like one I knew I didn't want to f- I didn't particularly want to follow anybody else's path and um I just knew you would just have to keep walking and it's going to be like a forest and there's going to be a lot of brush and it's not going to be easy terrain to walk through but you just have to keep walking and the path will become known to you but just but just start walking and keep walking yep we are the same person we are the same person Mine's more water based. Yours more land based. But I'm the Pisces, and you're, <laughs> and I'm, and my spirit animal is a, is a, is a coyote. So interesting. What the hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're also you have a tiger as as uh, yeah some of your imagery. Yeah, on nearly every post. Sometimes there's a cheetah, <laughs> but mostly there's a tiger. Always a tiger. <laughs> What's your club called? Um, the Trenches. Nice. <laughs> I'm starting one called The Collective. Oh, my word. The Love Collective. The Love Collective. PLC. Yeah, The Love Collective works. Yeah. Just The Collective sounds very culty. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, <laughs> my friend says that I, I should watch uh, a lot of those like cult, cults gone wrong movies. <laughs> So that when I start my sex cult, I do it well, you know. Your friend is like, sounds like an excellent business coach who should probably. Yeah. <laughs> Pit, pitfalls to avoid when starting a sex cult. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go down the Manson route. No, or any of the cults, really. I mean, none of them have, have really ended well. Maybe just don't start a cult. That's why it's called a collective. Oh, right. Okay. I see. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's exciting in, in your life these days? Um, what's exciting in my life these days? I'm finally starting to feel like, so I lost my mom last year mm. and it was really sudden and it was a real shock to the system and everything that happened around it, like how suddenly and shockingly it happened. Um, it was like throwing a stick of dynamite into my family, sort of, really. And um, and then the things that transpired after, like, going home and the way you cremate somebody in India and how, like, it's not like the West, you know? Like, it's not clean and sanitary and hidden behind a screen. You see every gory thing and it fucks you up. Like, one of the things that, like, the... the I'm not even going to go into it because it's not only my story to tell, it's also my family's. But it was very, it was traumatic exposure. And it just, um, I think, like the combination of that and 
internet harassment and whatever. I've been on a, I was on a low ebb for a while. Um, and I think what's exciting is that I try and look at every one of these things as an as a the grief, not really. The grief is just something I have to bear and I have to learn to live with. And, you know, you lose your parent and that's one of the foundations upon which your life was built. So it's losing a, you know, a pillar that's held your life up. And I don't think, well, that, that gap, that hole is not going to go away and you just learn to bear it. But the other stuff, like the cancellation stuff and the harassment stuff and whatever, other challenges, like to look at them as a opportunity to get bigger and better and to get more, even more flexible with my nervous system. And that's a fucking cool feeling considering I have a PTSD diagnosis. Um, yeah. So that's what feels exciting. I'm starting to feel human again. I'm starting to feel like I can get into um, doing more of the things I want to do and not feeling like I'm like walking through treacle every single day, you know, like dragging myself through the day. Cause um yeah, I think one of the things you don't realize about grief is that you don't always feel sad. Often you just feel yeah. numb and really fucking tired. <laughs> and yeah. um yeah. Well, oh, that is exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there's a ray of sunshine that's just broken through the clouds after being it being overcast for many, many months and like a good day is coming. Well, it's a nice feeling. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I haven't lost a parent and I don't have actually a lot of experience with uh, like dying grief, you know, people mm-hmm. dying in my life. I've mm-hmm. been super, super fortunate. Um, I've but lost I three also, people in the last two years. So I've had yeah, that's like... A, that's a lot more than most. It's, yeah. Talk about getting fucked up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I what, you know, what I see is that like, you know, depression or... Uh, you know, living under a cloud or yeah. sort of feeling just like, you know, heavy and where you don't see the light. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's easy to see that that is just how your life is going to be. Yeah. Forever. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess this is, this is how it is. I don't know. Cause I, I'm pretty moody. I don't know if I've, I, if I, I don't think I have depression, but I have like pretty elevated mood swings mm-hmm. and no one sees this online because I only show them the happy side. Yeah. Um, or the like annoyed at your questions. Side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when I'm feeling down, you know, I've come to learn that to just accept that period of down and that it's there for a reason. I don't necessarily need to know why it's there. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't make sense why it's there. Everything's going great in my life. So why do I feel so bad? And sometimes I'm there going like, okay, I guess this is life now. I guess I'm just a depressed guy. And uh, I guess my the tone on my Instagram is going to change. And eventually, you know, the, the ray does come back. Yeah. It does, it does come back and I go, Oh shit. And then I have to remember like, Oh, well, Hey, this is also going to go away now. You yeah. know, eventually yeah. the ray doesn't stay. Yeah. It, it, it's, it ebbs and flows. It's like waves in the ocean. Exactly. That's another one of my analogies is about waves. It's that, you know, the waves are always going to keep on coming and you can't ever stop them, but you can learn to surf. And I think that's what that is knowing that. And I, yeah, it's a similar self-talk that I give myself, which is that this will pass because it always has every single time and it will and it does. And like you said, it's it's like that. Um, it's the wheel, isn't it? Sometimes you're at the top, sometimes it's middling. And it's just, I think, I think that's why you need meaning in life because the, you need something in the low ebbs to pull you through, don't you? 
yeah. something to hold on to, like an anchor. Yeah. And not just be chasing yeah. being at the top of the wheel. Yeah, friends, family, work, you know, the sex purpose. parties or sex parties. Purpose. You need no more sex parties <laughs> for you, okay? You need to go to tea parties. I've only been to five. It's just that I talk about them often. It's funny. People are like, dude, what is a sex party? I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> just fucking take a guess. You know, <laughs> it's a party where people have sex. Um, one of the things that I learned in therapy in the last five years is to not like bully myself. Yeah, it's important. Or beat myself up for feeling down or bad or blue or whatever. In Buddhism, they call it the second arrow. Yeah. You know about this? Yes. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't, the, the first arrow is feeling bad. You know, the first arrow is I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm grieving, uh, I got broken up with, uh, or anything that has affected you in a painful way. That's the first arrow. You get shot by an arrow. You're like, ow, it hurts. The second arrow is you shooting you yourself for feeling that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's what you do with the first arrow, yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. Yeah. You can Either you can shove it in deeper, give it a good twist, put some salt and lemon in it or you can slowly, slowly take it out and you can like, you know, I think it's really important to learn to be honest with yourself, but self-talk is, um, you know, being horrible to yourself is not actual effective self-talk. It's having the ability to say, look, I did this and I really badly fucked up, but that doesn't make me a fuck up. It's that kind of that balance of, of not berating yourself while not giving yourself passes. And I think for some reason, people really struggle with finding that balance. It's always one or the other. Like, oh, you know, it must be my history of trauma, so it's okay that I'm horrible to everybody I come across, or I'm just such a fucking... I cheat on everybody because I was cheated on. Exactly. It's my my avoidant attachment. That's why it's okay to treat people very, you know, like they're disposable and not like a whole human being. Or it's my anxious attachment, which means it's okay to, like, fry people's brains till they want to jump out of the window. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, you can't... Yeah, those anxious people. Those anxious people. (laughs) They can be difficult to deal with, but you can find a way through it. It's not a life sentence. It's true. Yeah, I think we we should touch on attachment for a sec. But, um, yeah, self-talk, I've gotten just better at... Mm-hmm. At not being mean to myself. Mm-hmm. Were you mean God, to yourself? so much. Was I? Yeah, of course. I'm an idiot. Like if I'm uh, like dieting or something or trying to lose fat or whatever, and I go eat ice cream, it's like you can't fucking do it. You're always going to be fat or mm. whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah, the negative self-talk, I mean, for a long time was just, was very negative. And I've, I've come to just accept myself a lot more. That's a huge thing. As just a... A human, yeah, just a flawed human that's doing the best he can. That sometimes fucks up, and you know that, that things are going to be okay. And and I am a good person. I think that's like I need to remember that I am a good person. Yeah, you know, I'm not a bad person. I might do bad things sometimes, right? I might mess up. I might hurt someone, but I I, I have good intentions. I am a good person, so I need to remember that. I look at that as like two things. One is that morality is what you do. It's not who you think you are. So I kind of like, I think I try and bear that in mind. Um, and the other thing is that, yeah, we do fuck up because we're flawed. We're human. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. It's it's completely unavoidable. But, you know, like you said, again, it's a second arrow thing. What are you going to do with the mistake you've made? 
Are you going to sit there beating yourself up or are you going to try and make it right and try and move forward and take from it so that the next time you come across a similar situation, you might hopefully do a little better? Yeah. And, and just to be clear, it's not always, you know, if you're listening, it's not always because you messed up that you feel bad. Like if someone breaks up with you and you didn't yeah. really do anything wrong, it's it's not that you need to go fix that. It's that you need to just, instead of beating yourself up about wondering what you could have done better or different to change the outcome, you just accept the fact that, man, yeah. this hurts. Yeah. You know, this person yeah. doesn't want me and this hurts because I want them. God damn it. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Um, and it's true. And you kind of, you know, when you take rejection really personally and every single time, of course, you're going to feel like a piece of shit. You have to be really like, what's that quote that is constantly on Instagram that you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the world. And there's going to, always going to be someone who doesn't like peaches. <laughs> I haven't heard. I haven't seen that one, yeah. but it's true. It's yeah. true. It's true. I mean, I like peaches. Um, <laughs> sometimes when they're too juicy, though, you need a paper towel. This is true. And that's like more that's like more involved than I care to to deal with. What are you, you know, doing to this analogy? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I was actually <laughs> just talking about peaches now. Um yeah, rejection, you know, rejection. I people assume that I've never been rejected, you know, because I'm like a conventionally attractive dude. That's so funny. Um, but though. I because I know it's, why would you be like you, you know, like if you think about it for ten minutes, you wouldn't have found yourself where you are. Unless you'd been to been through your own significant journey with this with this stuff, yeah, like I'm a juicy peach to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and there's still people who don't like juicy peaches. Well, I think that's a, a lot of your audience is women who hope they're going to meet someone like you. I really think so. <laughs> I know, so. right? A lot of them is some like, of them are, do you some get a lot of giving it a good old college try with me? Really? Come on, oh, spill yeah. the beans. What kind of DMs do you get? Well, so yeah, I mean, I get marriage proposals. I get people asking me out. I get people, you know, the weirder ones are like, hey, come over, you know, and buy me coffee. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Why do you buy me coffee? <laughs> what, what, like, so now not only do I have to come over wherever you are, you're like in another, you're in Estonia, right? And I have to buy you coffee and entertain you. Like, I'm not already doing that enough. I have to go and do it just one-on-one. Like those are the ones I find like the wildest. Interesting. Is where like, it's still not enough. Like I need to go and personally entertain these people. I wonder if it's like, um, if that's like, if women send you that, whether that's because women think that men are meant to be doing the buying. Yes. Some of them. Yeah. 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 That, 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 I mean, I've, I've read that before I've received that, you know, you should be buying me a cup of coffee. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, I've never heard of you. I've never you. You know, it's like I, it's not all about followers, but like you have 200 followers, like, <laughs> like, and three golden retrievers. <laughs> like, that's not interesting to me. <laughs> and I'm not bagging on follower count. Like, I, I, I never even imagined that I would have 185,000 followers. Like that. Th- this this wasn't on my roadmap. But your TikTok you know, is even like, bigger, isn't it? Your TikTok is ginormous. It's like three something, but I I, don't, I barely go on there anymore. I just don't like the the audience that much. What's no offense if you're on TikTok. What's the difference in the audience, Instagram and TikTok? It's it's no. It's like way more cynical. Mm. It's way more like you know, I don't know. I'm like a boomer yeah. over there. 
You know, I've got boomer advice. <laughs> but that's the kids app, you know? TikTok is the kids app. Like... But there are 50 and 60 year olds on, on TikTok also. They should. They have no business being there. They need to delete their account. <laughs> there should be an age get limit. get on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, TikTok, I don't know. I think it's just a, it's a little more toxic. The comments are a little more toxic. They're, they're more entertaining for sure. Yeah. They're more entertaining. But, but um, I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive person. Person, I don't think people also realize that about me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard. I mean, it's, you know, talking about rejection re- resilience, it's hard to put yourself out there. Yeah, it is very right. Like you have to have thick skin. You have to have thick skin to to publicly put your thoughts and your face and your videos and your likeness out there on a on a regular basis. You, you need to develop. It's not just a thick skin. You need fucking calluses. You know, to be out <laughs> there with an with an audience. And it's so weird having these parasocial relationships where people think they know you because they read yeah. your content. And then they think they can, like, I don't know whether you get, I think that maybe this is more of like a therapist thing, but like some of the projections I get are so, they're just wild. Like, um, mm. and honestly, I've got to the point now where I just, I don't even correct people. It's like, I think what you want, I, mean, I can't, I can't, I can't spend my day on this. Um, but Either they'll start telling you what your secret motivations are, like as if they know, or you get, um, you know, people who think that you're a DJ. Like, I think there's a real, um, like, you know, as if you're going to take requests, there's a real, like, misconception mm. around not all of us are online because, um, you know, for some of us, it's also about self-expression. Like, sometimes I'm not making content to help you in your journey i just have something to say because i want to say it and i'm not looking for a committee to run that past Mm -hmm. and you know i understand it's on a public forum and you're gonna have you're gonna have your opinions and you can have your opinion but you're not gonna tell me what my opinion should be like yeah nah um nah (laughs) nah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's hard it's it's hard um yeah, I've had a lot of rejection in my life and uh, the what I have learned from it, which is is also what I what I learned by continuing to to develop this content and put it out there is that like, you know, it all comes down to me thinking that or knowing that I'm a good person, yeah. you know. So um so it doesn't hurt as bad. Yeah. And you have to remind you know? yourself that as much as they think they know you because they've read your one little piece of content that you put online every day. They don't, you know, your own friends don't know the depths of you. Like no one does really. Like we're all, we're still discovering parts of ourselves. You just have to remember that they don't actually know you. And you have to remember that so much of what on the internet people end up saying is because they don't, they're not criticizing your argument a lot of the time. When they criticize the thing you've said and the idea, I I have time for that. Maybe, um... I'll have a listen and engage. When they're just criticizing you as a person, it's like, oh, come on, move along. This is not for you. I remember, I forget who said this. It was like a really popular comedian or something. He's like, oh yeah, um, somebody was upset with me on Twitter. 
And I just don't give a fuck because because Twitter doesn't exist. Yeah, Twitter's not a real place. (laughs) Twitter's not a real place. It's amazing. It was Dave Chappelle. Yeah. I thought it was Ricky Gervais for a second, but he actually, he does argue with people on Twitter all the time. Ricky Gervais is so brilliant. Have you seen like his clip on guitar lessons? (laughs) No. Oh my God, it's fucking brilliant. So like he said, Twitter's like as if... um, you know, you just post something online or whatever. And it's the same as if someone found a flyer for guitar lessons and then they phone the number and they're like, I don't fucking want guitar lessons. <laughs> okay, like, I did see that. That's to. on his latest that's on his latest special. Yeah, you don't have to art you don't have to agree or even comment. You can just, it's okay. <laughs> It's it's not about you. It's not about you. This is and this is why I talk about this a lot, is that there's so many people that think it is just about them. They think the sun, moon, and the stars revolve around them. The sun shines out of their asshole and everyone else is like, you know, a supporting character in their personal story. And you're not love. Like none of us are. We're all just cogs in this larger thing. And, you know, as much as you might be the the main character in your own head, which you should be if you have some healthy self-esteem and stuff, but treating other people like they exist to cater to you has become a bloody epidemic. It's so, and they're so difficult to deal with because they can't see that there's a different way. Well, I was talking to my therapist about about just this Right, sort of centering the world around yourself, yeah, and how there's a point in natural childhood development. Yeah, it's called being egocentric. Right, where you, 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 that's right. You realize, oh shit, like it's my parents' me. only job is not to care for me, and then you, you know, you start rebelling and yeah, um, yeah, you start individual. So not everybody got that. Not everybody got that. Not everybody got that, and I think that's that's the problem. We have this like two generations now that are completely egocentric and very emotionally fragile. So they are very difficult, very, very difficult. Um, And they have no coping skills. Are we talking about boomers? Not boomers. I think more like younger millennials, (laughs) Gen Z, even people our age, to be honest, Um, especially when they go through the North American university system, they come out and know what happens to them. Um, But it's, it's, I completely lost the thread of what I was going to say. We got younger generations that are egocentric and yeah. uh, had helicopter egos, parents. Yeah, the egocentricity. That's what it, it's very difficult because you're meant to graduate past that. You're not meant to be egocentric for life. It makes sense for a child to be egocentric because children compared to adults are quite fragile creatures. You know, a child needs a lot of help to survive. They are dependent on the people that look after them. So for a child to think the world revolves around them and to be very focused on their needs and, you know, scream and cry when their needs aren't met makes sense. It's a survival adaptation. And then you, you you know, at some point get past that and you realize that no, other people aren't meant to look after me. My needs are not the most important thing in the universe. My feelings are not something that everybody must bow to and I'm responsible for myself. And that graduation isn't happening. Isn't there a return to, there's like a supposed to be a graduation at some point in childhood and then there's a return to that in adolescence for a little bit. I'm not sure. That's when you become like an annoying teenager 
and then everything does revolve around you for a little bit and yeah. then you graduate again is is what i was my well, I therapist was saying the, the teenage phase is that liminal period between you know egocentricity and actually being a robust individual and you know ch- teenagers still need help don't they they're like hormonal they're all over the fucking shop um they still can't like you know they still couldn't go out there and survive on their own um <laughs> And but that but they're like they're differentiating from their parents, you know. This, they're not seeing themselves as just an extension of the mother or just an extension of the parents. They're starting to see themselves as an individual, and then you know part of that process is that that overcorrection that happens as a teenager when you think your parents are the most annoying and the worst, and everything they do is cringe, and you're not just not like them. It's just a no. It's a normal developmental process, but you're not meant to be forty and behaving like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I were lucky. I mean, the uh, this is sort of a tangent, but you and I were lucky that we grew up without analog childhood smartphones. Yeah, yeah, analog right. childhood. So lucky. I mean, I was a little connected, but not that connected. You know, I had a pager in middle school. I had a cell phone in high school, but it was like a basic, mm-hmm. you know, analog cell phone. And I went on online. I went on AOL and and like you know, cyber sexed with probably men <laughs> disguised as women. Yeah. And uh, so I had some connection to the internet. You know, I think I had my first AOL account when I was like eight years old. But it was like just so different than it is now. And none of my cringe shit was online. You know, that's like the now other thing. my adult cringe stuff is online, but not my child, yeah, my teen like, stuff. That's the, can you imagine going through your teenage years and every bit of it was documented for the internet and it's out there somewhere that, I mean, I feel sorry for them. That's, that's really a shitty hand to be dealt. But yeah, we're lucky because we had analog childhoods. But then late teens, early 20s, you also join the cusp of you know digitalization and so we kind of we had we had with sort of the ones a little bit in the middle we had both were lucky enough that we had analog childhoods very very lucky and that our Mm -hmm. brains developed without all this bullshit yeah a lot of sensory overload and i mean look i'm addicted to my phone yeah, same. Right. I'm addicted to Instagram and I had an analog childhood and I'm a, you know, fairly well-rounded, robust adult. Yeah. And you give this to a kid? Exactly. It's fucking crack. It is crack and it's like um you know, it's designed to be addictive. It's designed to be like you wouldn't give a kid, you know, heroin and cocaine, would you? So why are you giving them this? Um and like we have to because they're fucking it. screeching for it. But do you know? Do you know <laughs> what? Why. Like, um, I just did a podcast with someone else, and I was saying to him that, um, like, an article just came out about uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, who never let their kids anywhere near their shit, and that makes me so fucking enraged because <laughs> it's like yeah. you've ruined other people's kids while you protect your own, so that you can you can profit off it, like you fucking demons. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't think those guys had any option. Yeah. You know, I don't think that they were on the cusp and they were like, all right, we're going to develop this technology that's going to fucking take over the world. Mm. You know what? We should just fucking deep six this thing. We should just, we should just never reveal. It's like, there's no, they had no other option. Yeah. But 
to build these companies. And they just, I just can't see them going like, you know, let's think of the children here. How is this? They, they had no idea how it was going to affect children. They had no idea how it was going to affect the world. Right. Well, how like, I just don't think they had. You know, like nerds sitting in basements building yeah. shit. They don't always know what, what, what life it's going to take over or what life is going to take up of its own. And, um, like, you know, Facebook was meant to just be for universities for networking and it, and it's look what it it's become and look what it led to. Yeah. I mean, maybe this was there, you know, like, uh, Zuckerberg, this was his purpose, right? His mission was to like create the coolest Facebook, you know, book of faces, college faces. And, and for Steve jobs, it was to create a little power piece, a little computer, the Mac classic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that you can play Snake and a shuffleboard cafe on the computer, right? They had I don't think they knew what they were building. I don't know. I think jobs maybe their jobs maybe like I think he seems like he because he's like when they're building computers, I don't think they're just thinking about Snake. They're thinking about a lot more. But Zuckerberg, like I don't know, he's such a weird guy because it's like he's slowly turned into an android and like and you see him, t- it's so weird seeing him talking because it's like he's an android glitching and doing an impression of being a human being. And like now he's making his fucking metaverse. Like he's turned into this weird android supervillain. <laughs> he's making the metaverse, which, Jesus Christ, that scares the shit out of me, the metaverse. But I saw a TikTok recently where someone was saying, you know, um, that most meetings, corporate meetings are going to be in the metaverse in the next three years. And this woman was like, Hey, um, I'm an IT manager for uh, customer support, you know, at my company. And let me just read to you a few tickets Mm -hmm. that we've gotten in the few days. And it was like subject help, you know, body of the email computer won't turn on. She was like, there's no way that most of the workforce is going to be able to be in the metaverse in three years. Like people are unable to turn their computers on. People like there's, there's just no way that that technology is going to um, move that fast. And I might, I might be eating my words. Today is March something mm. 2022. So let's check back in in three years and see where we're at. I mean, it's comforting to think of that. And I think that's often like older people. I think everyone, maybe not everyone, because actually some of the customer service questions I've gotten for my membership have been interesting and like, you know, illuminating about how untechnologically savvy some people actually are. Um, but like Gen Z, they're built to go live in the metaverse. Yeah. I don't, I don't want that generation. for them. I don't want that for them. I don't want them sitting, sitting in a chair, you know, alone in some like airless fucking room with a VR set on, like doing whatever the fuck they're doing. I don't want that for people. I'm not doing it for myself. I don't want that for anyone. Yeah, well, I mean, I have friends who have teenage boys and they're more comfortable online than they are, you know, interacting in the world. Yeah, because they're not so, properly socialized. Because they've I know, but what are you gonna do? We have to you like can't just you can't just yank out their devices and say, Okay, go play outside, you weirdo. <laughs> go learn how <laughs> Go learn how to talk to people. Like it's, it's like, no, that's not their reality. That's not the reality, but we have to think like, you know, something has to be done. Um, even if it's like, like what your friend with the, with these kids, whether they get together with other people that they know 
and and start socializing the kids even if it's one hour a week like learn to fucking talk to people um mm. i don't know um i don't know what the solution is but i do know if we can't identify the problems we're not going to find the solution we are a- we are asking big questions today we've mm. we've we've found ourselves in deep territory <laughs> i expected nothing less <laughs> All I want to do is talk about sex parties and you keep steering us to like these big existential questions. I mean, I'm not even slightly surprised that's how it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, what time is it over there? It's 7 p.m. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be later. I don't know what's going on in, in Europe <laughs> um, time-wise. I know we just had a time change. Okay. Um this seems like a good time to wrap it up, mm-hmm. even though I, I feel like we can keep going for hours. We should do another one. Let's see how this one think, goes. If neither of us gets canceled, let's do another one. <laughs> we didn't say anything controversial. You never know what people... The thing is that like the things you end up getting canceled for are the most random fucking things you don't realize. Um, but Well, I, I've also found that the, my, the posts that do the best for me are the ones that I spend the less time working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find they're like the peaks. you know oh a spark, and I'm just like fuck it, let's just throw this out there. Yeah. You know, it's like grammatically incorrect and whatever. Yeah, and those do really well. You know, so who knows? Who knows what people latch on to? Mm-hmm. True. I also have to. I really have to pee. So this seems like a good time. I agree. Me too. <laughs> I've drunk two cans of diet. Okay, coke. last five. Oh, two. So two two questions before we leave. Where can people find you slash work with you? What do you got? Um, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. I have um, a one-to-one psychotherapy practice. Um, currently, I have a waiting list. So there's, if you're happy to wait a while, you can work with me by applying through my website. And I also do therapeutic coaching, which is specifically to help people with a lot of these issues we've talked about, like resilience, anti-fragility, growth mindset, how to stop stop being a victim or like you know thinking of yourself as a victim and working through it and then i have a membership which is much lower cost um which again teaches the same kind of stuff we have a little course every month we uh, do a webinar with me you can ask me questions have a forum that i dip in and out of um and that's again to help people with all these things that i complain about all day those you know offer some solutions as well this is the trenches. How much does the trenches cost? Um, the first two enrollments were $20 a month. Now it's going to be $40 going forward. Very, very reasonable. I think so. Very, I think so. <laughs> I mean, obviously, if, if you've listened to anything that we've said here today, um, this is a f- fantastic investment in your future. <laughs> and your website is, I'm guessing, your name. Yeah, siritkchavla.com. Okay, we're going to link to that mm-hmm. in case no one no one's going was to able to that. just... No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, then final question. What does love mean to you? What does love mean to me? Oof. You laid the heaviest fucking question on me. <laughs> just one more round. Curveball. <laughs> Curveball. Well, there's different kinds of love. But if you're talking about romantic love, then I want, uh, like, what does it mean to me? It means someone who 
Like there has to be the glue of attraction. You need to be really attracted to that person. There has to be spark and passion and all that stuff. But it needs to be balanced with stability and safety and friendship um, and playfulness and fun. And I don't know whether you can put love into words that easily. It's something you feel and you know it when you feel it. Um, yeah. I think you did a pretty good job putting it into words. Thank you. <laughs> the The whole point of that question is to get people to try to put this thing into words that is so hard to. It's so hard to, to put, put into, into words. words. And I think it's actually shocking how. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I think some things we don't need to put them in. Everything doesn't need to be put into words. Ooh, I like that. Hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, this obsession to understand everything. Codify everything. Have answers never have uncertainty with everything with anything. Codify it all and then put it into a course and sell it on like on the internet. No, like have a transcendent experience without documenting it for the fucking internet. Put your phone away. Put your phone away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um in Buddhism, uh, you know, uh Susan Piver is a meditator, author meditation instructor and mm -hmm. she wrote a book called the, the four noble truths of love mm -hmm. and uh, in the four noble truths of buddhism i don't know them all but um one is that like life is inherently unstable yes and and her you know her interpretation is that love is inherently unstable yeah it, it's always shifting based on the people that are in sort of that dynamic yeah because like the love between two people can only really be sensed by those two people and whatever those two people are, are projecting or bringing, and I don't mean projecting psychologically, I mean almost like energetically, emotionally, all that stuff. What you're, That's going to impact that thing between you and that other person. And it, how, how can it be stable? Um, hopefully it can be constant, but maybe not mm. stable. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And can you dance with... Yeah. The instability. And that's the thing about love and relationships. Um, and I think a reason why love and relationship content is so popular is that like people aren't very good at sitting with ambiguity and you have to get good at that if you're gonna if you're gonna be um in a relationship with somebody else or do anything or relate in any way with anyone else. There's a level of amb ambiguity you need to be able to tolerate. Yeah. And, and, you know, don't let that be an excuse for perpetually sitting in ambiguity and not asking for clarity when you, when you yeah. want some. Yeah. That's the, that's the balance I, of that. Again, balance, exactly. right? Like how much of this is too much? Yeah. No, no, you don't want to be sitting there 24 seven fucking confused, scratching your head. You want to feel loved and like you, you know, you're cared about, but you also can't have 100% certainty about anything. Mm-mm. Beautiful. Let's go piss now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you for thank you for your love and your wisdom and your time. Uh, I I can't wait I can't wait to see you again and to and to continue Same. connecting with you. Yeah. yeah, we have so much more to talk about. Thank you for yeah. having. Yeah, I value. Uh, I, yeah, I value you a lot. Oh, thanks, Sean. The feeling is very mutual. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a beautiful evening. You too. Bye-bye.